We're continuing our studies in discipleship this evening, and the theme is community. And there are two readings this evening. I'm going to read one now and then one just before Frank speaks. Our first reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. You'll find it on page 1175 in your pew Bibles. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16, where Paul speaks of what it means to be united in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 11, page 1175. This is the word of God. It was he, that is Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Amen. You'll find our second reading on page 1033 in your pew Bibles. It's Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 19, where Jesus chooses the 12 apostles. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 page 1033. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, Judas son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples were there. And a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. 
Amen. Well, thank you very much indeed, Leslie, for reading to us from the scriptures. Um, we've made reference tonight to the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God. And, and maybe the idea of God working through covenants is an unfamiliar one to you. Um, there is a book that uh, I've been reading over the last year. It's called Reading the Lost Ark, Rediscovering the Gospel of the Covenant King. It's an IVP book by John T. Rhodes. And Liam Golliher says it's clear-headed and heartwarming, satisfying, biblical, and Christ-exalting. Um, how does God communicate to his people? Well, he does so through um, making promises. And in this book, we, uh, the author highlights the covenants of God revealed through Abraham and Moses and David and all pointing to the Lord Jesus. So if you're interested uh, to know what uh, uh, that means for us today and how that works out in, in the sacraments of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, this book uh, would be for you. So as in uh, other evenings, the first person who would uh, raise their hand and would like to read this, you may do so now. And uh, the, uh, it is yours to read. Andy, okay. The, the only uh, thing that goes with this is if you read it, uh, once you've read it, pass it on to somebody else because you received it free and somebody else can receive it free as well. So hope you enjoy it. And if you want to uh, um, make any comment at any other evening services about it, feel free to do that as well. That uh, is also open to you. Now, we're going to uh, turn to page 1175, if you will, because uh, Ephesians 4 is what we're looking at tonight. The, these evenings we're looking at discipleship and we've seen that being a, a disciple is essentially an apprentice, someone who learns from and seeks to become like her or his master. And in the Christian world, a disciple is someone who loves and follows Jesus. You may remember that at the very end of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples, his followers, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples. But it's interesting that we see there that Jesus only says to his followers, go after he has already said to them, come. And uh, we've seen from the early part of the Gospels, his, his first invitation to the disciples, come, come to me. Um, and, and then, of course, in, in uh, John chapter 4, we see uh, the Samaritan woman. And having met Jesus for herself, she then says to her friends, come, come and see the man who has told me everything about myself. Uh, come and see, uh, could this be the Christ? So Jesus, who commands his disciples to go, first invites them to come, to come to him. We cannot go unless we first have come to him. And we've also seen that he calls his disciples by name. Uh, he calls the disciples specifically to come and follow him. 
and he calls us to be his apprentices and invites us to be holy even as he is holy. So with that in mind, we turn to Ephesians 4 and the Apostle Paul now writes then, he says, I urge you then to live lives that are worthy of the calling you have received. And that calling is to live a truly harmonious uh, uh, Christian community life. Be completely humble and gentle, it says. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So that's what we're called to as disciples. Shall we just pray and commit our time into God's keeping? Speak, your servant heareth. Be not silent, Lord. Wait my soul upon thee for the quickening word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the characteristics of those who has been called by Jesus, those who have come to be with him, to learn from him, is to be part of a harmonious community. For those within whom God's Spirit dwells, that is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who uh, uh, is within the disciples of Jesus, there is a unity that comes from sharing that same Spirit of God. In home groups, we're currently looking at the disciples of Jesus, and we've already seen what an eclectic and perhaps eccentric group of people they are. From a human point of view, who would ever bring these people together? You have Simon Peter, strong-willed and courageous, impulsive and impetuous. You have Andrew, who, interestingly enough, was previously a disciple of John the Baptizer, and he is notable not only for his life but also for his death. James, easily angered and quick to judge, but the first of Jesus' disciples to give up his life in martyrdom. John, the beloved author of five books in the New Testament, including the book of Revelation. Philip, absolutely keen to introduce other people to Jesus. Bartholomew, an honest man convinced of Jesus' greatness. Matthew, a self-absorbed tax collector, a collaborator with the Romans, now transformed. Thomas, often thought as the gloomy one, the Eeyore, easily discouraged, but actually a very loyal believer. James, the son of Alphaeus. Who? And yet he's there. He's important. Jesus called him, so he must be significant. Simon the Zealot, he was a political animal made new by the Savior. Judas, the son of James, known mainly as the one who isn't Judas the Iscariot, and then the one who was the traitor. John F. Kennedy has been in the news this last week because of the files uh, released about his assassination. But a short time before he was killed, he made a very key address to Rice University where he famously announced his intention to get a man on the moon. That was in September 1962. His goal was that a man would be in the moon before the decade was out, something that was achieved on the 20th of July 1969. But how did that come about? 
Was it by getting a group of people together who were all like JFK? No. Was it gathering a bunch of scientists who also voted Democrat? Not at all. But it's well known that the first group of people, I think there were about 10 different people they brought together in order to make this goal happen, they failed. And they weren't quite sure why. So they had to bring in the psychologists. And the psychologists did some work to work out the personality types and the various skills and abilities that those people had and what was missing. Now, don't ask me what it was that was missing, but they discovered that there was one key person, one key type of individual who was needed to make the task happen. And when that person was identified and was then part of the group, the goal happened. How many of you actually remember that first moonwalk? I remember as a wee boy uh, sitting around a black and white television and so exciting it was on the 20th of July, 1969. So it was brought about this landing in the moon, not by a group of people who were identical to each other, people like each other, but this eclectic group of people who nonetheless were united in a common goal, a goal that was achieved. And when, Peter, when Jesus brought together a group of people as his apprentices, it wasn't designed in order to be cozy, but in order that they would do a work which only they could do. Achieve the goal of making disciples across planet Earth. And they weren't naturally mates. Indeed, that's why I think here in Ephesians 4, uh, where, interestingly enough, there are seven perfect things that unite them. Uh, the, The Ephesian Christians are united as one body. Do you see that in verse 4? By one spirit, they have one hope. They have one Lord. Verse 5, they have one faith. They have one baptism. They have one God and Father of all. Seven perfect things that unites these imperfect people together. Now, even with that, the apostle has to urge the believers in this church fellowship to live lives that are worthy of the calling they had received. And how were they to do that? They were to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Because naturally, they weren't in their human personalities. That wasn't natural to them. There is indeed one body. That's the church. There's the one Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit who dwells within every disciple of Jesus. There's one Lord. That's what is the common goal. There's one faith. There's one baptism. What does that mean? Well, in Romans chapter 6, we are told that uh, when a person becomes a believer, they are baptized into Christ's death. How are we saved? We're not saved through anything we have done, but through what Jesus has done. Even as he was baptized with blood on the cross, he died our death so that we wouldn't have to. That is how we are saved. So when we are baptized with water, that is reminding us of the cleansing that is found in Jesus' life-giving blood. So there's one baptism. It's the baptism that Jesus has already achieved for us on the cross into which we are invited 
to participate. There is one God and Father of us, Lord. But verse 3, the disciples are required to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I wonder if that speaks to you um, as it does to me. Why are we here? Why are we here as an eclectic group of people? Is it because we're all identical in personality or background or preference? Well, like a nuclear family, we've been invited to come. We're called to be part of the people of God in this place at this time to function as a community for the glory of our Savior. And tonight, we, we Joel is a visual aid. He's here because part of the community of God's people uh, within whom God's Holy Spirit dwells. Joel's mum and dad are disciples of Jesus. They are apprentices, people who learn from and seek to become holy like the Lord Jesus. And they want their wee boys to be part of this eclectic, eccentric body of believers who are not ashamed to own the name of Jesus. So together we're part of the people of God who want to serve our Lord, who profess faith, who acknowledge one baptism, who worship the God and Father who is over all and through all. And then to pass that on to the next generation of, of people who also will become believers. So you see in verse 11, it was Christ. It was Christ who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. People are to be prepared to be apprentices. Now, not everybody here uh, has been called to those specific responsibilities. There was only a few, after all, who were called to be apostles. The prophetic role was only given to a small number of individuals. The gift of being an evangelist, that isn't for everyone. There are some people specifically gifted by God to lead people to Jesus Christ. Yes, all of us are to do the work of an evangelist, but not all of us are evangelists. Indeed, not everybody here is called to be a pastor or a teacher of Christian doctrine. But the one thing that unites all these people, do you see in verse 11, all these people in their common responsibility, verse 12, is to prepare God's people in every place at every time for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now that's critical. Whoever we are, whatever our specific gifting, all of us, every single person within whom God's Holy Spirit dwells are called to prepare other people for works of service. And that way, through us exercising our gifts and encouraging others to do the same, all of us, whatever our background or ability, will mature in our knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Let, let me say that except the other way around. The way each one of us here will become mature in our faith and knowledge about Jesus is preparing God's people for works of service. The two things are linked. We grow as we prepare other people for works of service. Other people are helped as we help prepare them. 
And that's what we are told here. In other words, while not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are evangelists, not all are pastors, teachers, all of us within whom God's Holy Spirit dwells are called to be encouragers or enablers to help other people exercise the gifting God has given them for the benefit of the worldwide church of Jesus. A few weeks ago at morning service, we asked all the leaders of the church organizations to stand as sort of commissioning for service. And that was great. But if you are one of those people who stood, according to this, your primary purpose is not to do everything yourself. Your even greater calling is to enable other Christians within your groupings to discover their gifting, to exercise their specific gifting, so that together we might become mature in Christ. Sometimes it's easier to do something yourself. But we aren't called to be a one-person band but to an effective body life. The Christian life is not as a solo artist, but as a chamber orchestra or a choir. And sometimes it's actually the most difficult thing to encourage and enable and equip somebody else to exercise their spiritual responsibility. But unless we do, that person will never discover the joy of spiritual service for themselves. And we will never have the joy of seeing them mature. Now, this doesn't just happen. I'll never forget the moment um, I consciously began to consider this. It was not long into my first pastorate. Um, After a Kirk session meeting, uh, one of the godly elders took me aside and said, Frank, you don't have to control everything you know. And and that was a spiritual word in season. And and that began the process of change in my own thinking from being a spiritual one-man band, feeling everything was on my shoulders. It was all up to me. I was responsible for everything. The change was actually an enormous relief, although it required a whole change of mindset to become an enabler and a quipper of other people. I hadn't realized what I'd be doing until that moment in time. It's probably the model I had, I had seen. It was, it was just uh, the way it was. But, but somebody needed to point it out. And, uh, and in doing so, um, by, by controlling everything, I was actually squashing the very life out of other uh, people. And when you then enable and encourage other people, that is not abdicating responsibility. It's taking on extra responsibility because you are actively discerning the gifts and the spiritual abilities of other people. You're drawing alongside them. You're encouraging them to exercise those. You're modeling things yourself. You are equipping, you're enabling them to practice and to do things for the glory of God. And one of the things I just love about, about the bands here, the leaders of our bands, just do that. Brian do, does that. And, and the leaders on, on, on the Sunday evenings, each of you 
are competent in your own right. Ian, Ian could lead the service himself tonight quite nicely. He's, he's very talented. But instead, they take risks. They go beyond their comfort zone. They, they discern where other people have gifts and abilities, where they might be able to read or to pray or to participate or to play. And that's risky. Of course it is. Sometimes the results might not be perfect. But do you know something? That's okay. The church doesn't have to be clinical. We're community. Church doesn't have to be a concert hall. We're family. And so we return to the point where we begin. I urge you then, chapter 4, verse 1, says the Apostle Paul, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. What is the calling? What is the calling of discipleship? To be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, every Friday night there is a reflection from Evangelical Alliance, and this week it was on the subject of mental health. And the author was making the point that churches can play a hugely significant role uh, by being communities where relationships can be authentic, where people are able to exercise their gifts and abilities together and become mature in their, in their uh, outlook and attitude. And he made three simple but helpful points to the people of God as we live out their lives in Jesus. And, and I'm going to finish with this. He, he says, take care of your body, this bit, because God has made you physical beings. In other words, take exercise, maintain a healthy diet, get adequate sleep, and take your medicines as required. So take care of your body, because God made you physical. Take care of your relationships, because God has made you social. In other words, give real thought to your role within the community, within the church community, within the family, with exercising love and forgiveness and appropriate boundaries. Take care of your relationships. God has made you social. That's what we're talking about tonight. And thirdly, take care of your soul because God has made you spiritual. In other words, your identity, your security, your value is anchored in a right relationship with God through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Take care of your soul because God has made you spiritual. And take care of other people's souls, because that is the calling of discipleship. Now, none of this is rocket science, but even as JFK got men to the moon by what people may regard as eccentric people working together, nonetheless in a common goal, so Jesus calls his eclectic group of people called disciples, his apprentices, to learn from him so that we in turn may prepare God's people for works of service. Because it is in that particular challenging way that the body of Christ is built up, both in unity and in maturity.
Our gracious Lord, we we can do none of this on our own, and we're so grateful for that. We're thankful, our Heavenly Father, that the church is your invention, and you have brought us together for a purpose, to to make us more like your Son, the Lord Jesus. We we need each other because otherwise we, we simply wouldn't be able to understand ourselves. And so, our Heavenly Father, enable us to become more like the Lord Jesus as his apprentices and learn from him and to exercise the giftings that he has given to us uh, with other people so that they in turn may be encouraged to do the same. Oh, our Father, please, may it happen. Not because we are worthy, but because you are surely good. And we give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.